delivering to the buyers uh, a quality of earnings report that they've already commissioned from a third party uh, that that uh, is at least fair in, in the minds of the sellers. Um, and, and so that's that's one way I'm, I'm seeing uh, buyers kind of attack the assumptions uh, uh, once the, the diligence uh, process begins. Um, Brian, talk to me about uh, closing and post-closing adjustments and, and, and do you spell that out in the term sheet or is that something you, you wait for the definitive? Yeah, I'm kind of used to seeing the post-closing adjustments more in the, um, the definitive, uh, unless there's uh, really an obvious large issue that people know to address now in the term sheet. Mm-hmm. Um, so whether it's a you know, working capital adjustment, um, we used to kind of have these standard uh, in the, the real estate space because you're dealing with lots of small companies that their financials are, are often very questionable just in terms of the quality of the financials. Um, so we almost always had to go back and rebuild the financials for them um, and kind of look at working capital and, and often educate them. And I think that can be the case just depending on the size of the transaction and the, the counterparty if you're on the buy side. Um, but, you know, being able to um, kind of work through something like the financials, more of a definitive document stage kind of, because then you start really spelling out how do you get to working capital. Burnouts, usually I see those brought up in the term sheet. There's gonna be an earnout. that's where it's, it's at. Um, allocations of basis, most of the time I see that in definitive documents. Um, and the, alloc- the allocation of basis, usually uh, the issue can be around timing. When do you deliver that? Um, seller wants it sooner, buyer wants to take their time um, most often. Um, claims for indemnification, kind of the high level points, usually in the, the term sheet, um, in, in the sense of what are the big issues and, and how do you treat it? And those tie into kind of what's the escrow, what's the holdback um, quite often particularly the escrow, um, and the same with set-offs. Natasha, any changes to all this in the, in the post-pandemic world that, that you wanted to call out? Um, I would say the... Definitely, I see, see a lot of, um, of the buyers pushing to have some type of holdback. I think prior, you could kind of get away with not having holdbacks or escrows, but there has been um, a push uh, for some monies to be allocated. Uh, and again, like you said, rep warranty insurance could cover that off, but um, in some of the transactions I've been seeing in terms of just making sure that the buyer is feeling more comfortable in terms of the, the state of what they're acquiring, they do want money held back. That is a great point, Natasha. For, for those deals where there's no rep and warranty, uh, buyers uh, identifying risks and doing special holdbacks is, is definitely something that, that um, I'm hearing about uh, buyers trying to do. And, and uh, thanks for calling that out. Shall we uh, hit the next slide, Vitaly? I, I'm also noti- noticing the awesome questions that are piling up in the Q&A. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're going to have to cover those at some point. Um, yeah, I mean, one thing that I'll, I'll just kind of dumb it down as well. It's, you know, um, the holdbacks are essentially are a form of insurance, essentially, right? And mm-hmm. where before everybody was calm and the environment was what's the worst that can happen, now we know what's the worst that can happen. There's a lot of uncertainty and therefore you're going to see a lot more of these kind of protective provisions coming into play. I, I hope you're right that we know that what the worst is. <laughs> we don't. So those, those provisions are going to be 110% of the purchase price. 
Yeah, Santa Clara County, which is where uh, the, the, the home of uh, Palo Alto and Silicon Valley, uh, we did not have uh, hair salons or barbershops open. So yesterday they opened at the same time as the governor announced that the following day they would be shut. So uh, <laughs> never know. Really bad day for me, you know. <laughs> so, uh, all right. It's of uh, the Vitaly cut. Yeah. Uh, I think we've covered deal structures. Uh, yeah. In the interest of time, forward. Yeah. I think we've uh, we've also handled earnouts to the for the most part. But maybe Brian, you've got a, a world of experience uh, helping parties. Um, you know, I won't say resolve the dispute, but but rather come to agreement on on an earnout. And I'd love for you to share your advice on that um, for for folks. Sure. So I, I think that the the important thing to think about with earnouts is. When you have a transaction where, you know, you've basically brought in the sellers, they're now your employees. From a management, you know, buyer side perspective, every decision you make around the earnout um, has the impact to threaten the dollars that the sellers, now your employees, think are coming to them. So when there's a dispute around the earnout. Quite often, the dispute is around um, the performance level. Was it satisfied and why wasn't it satisfied? Because the one question automatically on the seller side leads to the other question. Yes, we didn't hit those numbers, but here's why. You didn't let us do X, Y, and Z. We were supposed to have marketing control. We were supposed to be able to go out and sign contracts up to X dollars without you know, seven layers of approval. So um, the trick there, I think, for 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 solving disputes around earnouts is kind of finding that balance where you can educate the other side. And often that means the buyer trying to educate the, the seller, uh, the selling employees, as to why it's they didn't hit those thresholds and why they were reasonable in limiting basically operating control for the, uh, the sellers who are now your employees. Um, but doing it in a way that doesn't come across as too punitive because just think about it this way. You are trying to incent and motivate your employees every day. In the Silicon Valley, that many places, that is the primary value of your company. It's the people that deliver services or build products every day. Um, so you've got to find a balance. It can't just be, or it usually can't just be a dollar discussion. It's, it is, how do, we, how do we protect the rights of the company? How do we protect the bottom line, the balance sheet, um, while also not leaving employees feeling like they just got burned? Yeah, what I thought you were always so great at, Brian, in, in, in your days uh, running the M&A function is I, I think you convinced sellers that you really wanted to pay the earnout, and you, as time wore on, wore on you, you adjusted the, the conditions so that, that there was still an incentive and a carrot, even if circumstances changed. And I think that's the, the hallmark of... Of a, of, a, of a good business relationship. Natasha, how do you resolve disputes if you can't, if you don't have Brian involved, uh, making sure people get to the right business answer and, and uh, guns are out, you know, who, who's the right person to resolve that dispute? Is it a court? Is it arbitration? Is it, is it uh, an, an independent financial accounting firm? You know, what's, what's your experience and, and what do you think works best? 
there's probably levels, right? So I don't think you go straight to the courts. You probably want to see if there's some way that you can have maybe a financial institution to start off. If that doesn't work, then maybe go to arbitration. Um, but I don't think the first thing is to go guns blazing and start litigation right away. Right. That's, and, that's and one way to quickly uh, ruin a relationship. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's if you're going to have an earnout, you've got to have a really exactly. a precise uh, uh, mechanism to resolve disputes that's time bound and 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 you know has clear procedures that that you know don't involve uh, you know court and discovery and, and all of that sort of uh, stuff because you know at that point to to to, to Vitaly's point uh, the business has exploded. Um, yeah. Moving into special issues, there are so many things that we could have covered on this call, and you know in the next two slides we're just going to hit a few you know really special issues uh, that happen particularly when companies are are getting sold in a fire sale or quickly because of circumstances. And, and um, you know, the first one is obviously how do you incentivize uh, the employees that are needed to monetize the intellectual property, the technology that you're acquiring for the business. Um, and, and so, you know, the, you, you've, you've got to either do that in a carve-out plan where the, 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 the sellers are having to incentivize the employees who are otherwise out of the money uh, to get a piece of the sale price, or if you're the if 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 uh, there isn't any money for that, you're the buyer. You want to incentivize your team. What do you what do you do? And and so uh, Brian, Natasha, Vitaly, you know, throwing it out there. Um, what what things are you seeing right now to um, you know keep employees motivated to to monetize technology and, and businesses? I would say on the one hand, it hasn't changed. On the other hand, it probably has. Um, on the one hand, you know, when you're dealing with a situation where um, the founders have been diluted to like single digits, which happens more often than you think, um, the management carve-out is designed to incentivize them and give them bigger uh, part of the economics of the transaction so they stick around, especially kind of with the earnout, that they have an opportunity to, um, uh, to make some money, some serious money that they think is worth their time. And the way to do that is to really engineer their employment agreement uh, where a lot of the economics come into that. So there's a little bit of conflict that comes up where the investors all of a sudden want to understand what's in that employment agreement and what's being swung to the side of the deal that they don't get, uh, they, they don't get economics out of as investors. So that's usually a, a friction point.